0: This is Lee Odin, author of Optimize How to Attract and Engage More Customers by Integrating SEO, Social Media, and Content Marketing. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails.
1: Hello, and welcome to this hopefully short lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host. Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on, They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas.com at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Lee Odin, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, Douglas. How are you? Good. What's going on in your quarantine world? My quarantine world is has been very fruitful, uh, amazingly fruitful. Um,
1: oh, that's good to hear.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, Well, and of course, it's not me being fruitful. It's the fact that I have a great team that I get to work with that does all the actual work. Mm-hmm. And I just get, get to tell great stories about what they're doing out to the world. So now, what a job I have. Now, you all had an office or you have
1: an office, but everyone's had to uh, go home.
0: Yeah, you know, we were. I I was paying attention to the John Hopkins uh, data visualization of uh, what was going on in Wuhan and in China, and talked to my management team. Was like, you know, we have remote working in our DNA. We were remote our first five or six years as a business, and everything's always been in the cloud. I I think it might be something for us to think about. And then some articles came out, and we're like, "Yep, we're we're, everyone's going to work remote until further notice." And when do you and think that was that you decided that? It sounds like you That might was have in March. First yeah, half that was in late March, I think. Oh, late March, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah, middle, late, I don't know, something like that. And it's been good. It's been good. I, you know, they're they're they a mature group of individuals. Um, I have great leadership that um, keeps them motivated and they're responsible, accountable individuals. And uh, I'm just, it's a privilege to get to work with them. And, you know, one of the things that our true test is when, your team or your coworkers, your friends or whatever are challenged and you see how they react, you know, and it's been very, very satisfying and very, um, I feel a lot of gratitude. That's great. To see how my team has reacted. Yeah, Yeah. Do you
1: think you all will, uh, keep the office or maybe, uh, scale it down and do more remote work in the future if things get back to, uh, whatever normal will be?
0: Yeah. It's been interesting seeing, you know, what the Silicon Valley, uh, And San Francisco based companies are doing, you know, uh, Microsoft and or or Google, I should say, and uh, and Twitter, uh, Shopify and other companies like that are all telling their workers, you can work in uh, remote indefinitely um, for as long as you want. And companies shutting down their corporate headquarters and setting up small offices. And so, you know, that's something that is interesting to watch. And at the same time, it's very interesting to see how well our team is doing in its, in the current situation. Um, you know, and, and so maybe we do, uh, I don't know if we, you know, maybe, I think we'll maintain an office of some kind for sure, but I've got, fi- I've got 10,000 square feet with 50 workstations and I don't need, I already don't need that much space. So mm-hmm. um, it's uh, it's something that we're figuring out as we go, but we're being agile.
1: Excellent. Yeah. Well, we have a much smaller office and I'm, I've decided to let it go. <laughs> Everybody ran away anyway, and it's just uh, collecting <laughs> dust. And I thought, you know what? So after like 16 years, I said to the landlord, I just said, well, I guess we're just going to, I don't know what's ahead, yep. but everyone seems to be just fine working remotely. Yep. So so Lee, you were an early supporter of the Marketing Book Podcast, and I appreciate that. Absolutely. You were on for episode 37 in september of 2015 and today as we record this i published episode 280
0: wow congratulations
1: yeah well i i love doing it and you just you know there's nothing else to do lee come on let's be honest um (laughs) it's just it's it's probably one of those case studies of just showing up you know consistency which is like the least sexy uh aspect of producing content is consistency but it really seems to you know pay off, but for those folks that haven't uh, listened to episode 37, and there are, just so you know, Lee Odin, there are people who listen to that interview every week because there's a lot of binge listening that goes on on the Marketing Book Podcast, but I could see it every week. There's people listening to it, but for those who haven't, tell folks
0: who is Lee Odin and what you do. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, just some guy. <laughs> um, no, that's my line. <laughs> Yeah, I'm just some guy. Um, I am CEO and co-founder of a B2B marketing agency called Top Rank Marketing. And as you might guess from the name, we were very focused on search marketing when we started. Um, Today, we are very focused on the intersection of content, influence, and search. And we think of ourselves as experience makers. We're trying to create experiences that inspire people. And we do that for companies like Dell and LinkedIn and SAP and had a chance to work with Oracle and Adobe and and 3M and lots of other major brands and quite a few mid-market companies as well, pretty much all in the B2B space. And, um, you know, we have an office in Minneapolis and I get to, um, you know, marvel at the amazing work that my team does. Uh, They're creating content in so many different formats, uh, obviously text and images, video, podcasts, they're doing episodic content, uh, LinkedIn Live, we've created virtual reality experiences um, interactive is really a big piece of what we do. So, from the experience standpoint, I think something that's missing in a lot of B two B is, um, you know, an experience. I mean, it, it, bits, it tends to be a bit dry and transactional. Um, you know, they they say B two B stands for boring to boring, and we're trying to break that or bust that myth.
1: <laughs> thank you for thank you for doing that. <laughs> and uh, so you've got uh, influencer in there, and I want to uh, talk about that. But uh, there's other th- there's other uh, Lee Odin trivia that people need to know about, which of course is of great interest to me. You're a veteran of the United States Army.
0: Hua, hua. Yes, yes. I was. I had the very good fortune. Uh, I mean, meaning that it was a good experience for me. Um, uh, uh, right out of high school, uh, I wasn't quite sure uh, my next step, and uh, I had always had an affinity uh, 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 around the military. And so I joined. And And um,
1: before we were recording, you mentioned both your
0: grandfathers were in World War II. They were. Yes. Yes. In Europe. Yep. Yep. And um, yeah, I was a a combat engineer in Anchorage or uh, Fort Richardson, Alaska uh, for two years. And uh, Because Minneapolis wasn't cold enough for you. No, no. I mean, you really haven't lived until... You've flown in helicopters through the mountain passes as the pilot wants to impress the lieutenant that's with you and make the private lose his cookies. That was amazing. Um, drop you off in the, in the middle of nowhere with three or four other guys and say, okay, now make it back. And and it really was actually a, a great experience. It really was. I, I, uh, I had... I. I was exposed to a variety of different types of people that me as a g- guy from a small town in Minnesota had really never seen anything before or really met anybody different than myself before. So it was a really good experience from that perspective. And that helped me go to college. I've got uh, tax-free uh, college money for that. And then fast forward, and now I'm working the a dream job.
1: So, and you did get back from that mountain pass, I, I guess, a yes. spoiler alert.
0: It, Yes. Yes. Um, someone lost their weapon on the way down. So that meant crawling back up and searching through a lot of snow. Uh, but we found it. Other than that, it was pretty darn fun.
1: Yeah. My (laughs) recollection of the army is that if you hadn't found that weapon, you'd still be looking for it. Exactly. They (laughs) were crazy about that.
0: We were very motivated.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's great. So, uh, That joke you tell about, you know, them trying to impress the lieutenant and they were trying to terrorize you. I can remember the, I went to airborne school at one point where they teach you how to jump out of perfectly good airplanes. Right. But with parachutes. They're very important. And the very first time we were going, I was, it turned out I was going to be the first guy out of the plane just because of an error of math. And uh, the, the jump master was there And we're flying along at 1,200 feet and it's my first jump and kind of exciting or, you know, you're a little, you're a tiny bit nervous. And he looks at me and I, it's really loud. And he says, first jump, huh? (laughs) (laughs) You know, these guys are right out of central casting. They're just like the guy in the movies. And he grabs my, the strap of my uh, parachute and he pulls me closer to the door and he's not even attached. He has like a little, uh, a parachute on his back just in case he falls out of the plane. He grabs right. me and he pulls me over and he goes, look how high up we are. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember thinking, you sadist, oh, man. you know, what, <laughs> what are you doing? Oh, but you know, you got to love their sense of humor. Cause I can remember, you know, when in the military, as you probably know, when they were killing a lot of time and there's a lot of waiting around in the army, they would say, all right, who right. has questions? Who has questions? And so I remember this one guy said, uh, what's one other person in airborne school said, uh, you know, you have a main parachute in the back and you have an extra one in the front in case the main one doesn't activate. And the guy says, Sergeant, when we jump out of the plane, if our main parachute fails to activate, how long will we have to activate the reserve parachute? And the sergeant, he must have answered this question a thousand times. And he stared at him and said, you will have the rest of your life. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you're listening for the jokes while you were in the army, it could be a, yeah. a, a pretty funny thing. So Lee, when I was at Content Marketing World a couple of years ago, I was the moderator for the influencer track. Where I I got to in- introduce people, and one of the guys was uh, Lee Odin, and uh, you mm-hmm. gave a talk, and some other folks uh, gave talks, and I've since um, when I've read books about influencer marketing, you know, you're very often mentioned as well as some of the other folks that were speaking at Content Marketing World that day. I want to ask you about some research that came out recently that you're you may not be aware of, but there was some research that came out, and it was the I think the second. Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails episode I did with um, Philip Stutz. And they have a a marketing firm, but they also have a political firm. So they're always polling uh, consumers for um, attitudes and awareness of certain things. And he contacted me and said, everything changed really drastically. Like in those two weeks at the end of March, everyone's Mm -hmm. attitudes changed. And what I found interesting was he said that it was going to really impact a lot of influencers and i was wondering what's your read on and, and the reason why is because people were he was arguing people weren't interested in seeing them on the beach they were interested in safety and some other things that are a little further beyond right. maslow's hierarchy of needs what's been your read on what's going on with with influencer marketing related to the coronavirus pandemic
0: so luckily most uh customers are not looking for influencers on the beach to buy enterprise software. And so (laughs) in my case, I'm B2B specific. So, um, in the consumer side, yeah. You know, uh, people that are really good at creating uh, ephemeral content, uh, temporal content. Um, so stories oriented content, Snapchat, um, Instagram stories and and so forth, those B2C-ish influencers uh, in travel and hospitality, yeah, there's a lot that dried up right there real quick, real fast. And though at the same time, people are still looking for information and brands, some brands did shift how they engage those influencers rather than having them explicitly promote products or services or whatever, had them assist in talking about how that brand is going to help the world in this situation uh, or doing their part. Um, on the B2B side, but but the, the vast majority of those B2C influencers are, yeah, things have dried up quite a bit. Um, uh, obviously, um, necessity is the mother of invention or, or at least adversity can be and people are pivoting and scrambling to find how they can create value. On the B2B side, we haven't seen that much of an impact, really. Um, Business buyers, while, you know, don't wanna see that same sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, explicit product offers and, you know, product experts touting products and services in the technology space, which is an area where we work in almost exclusively, but they do trust those people. They are paying attention to them in terms of what's going on in the industry in light of the pandemic, in light of these challenging times, as everyone's saying. So, um, we have noticed that a number of influencers that, you know, an influencer isn't a job. I mean, for some people, it is a job. And those people who are using pro speaking, uh, and they were event centric. Mm-hmm. Their their revenue streams dried up. <laughs> really so quick. I've heard from a number of your fellow authors. Yeah, uh, all of a sudden they became very affordable to engage as influencers for brands.
1: Oh, I know. So they're that, able to talk to me all of a sudden. So you know,
0: <laughs> look at you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So that's been that's been interesting, um, and you know, good for everyone. I mean, so. Yeah, I, I, on the B two B side, it's people are we're engaging as many programs. I mean, we we did not, uh, we had maybe one slowdown of one client. We hit all numbers in first quarter. We're ahead of the game in second quarter. These influencer programs, we have shifted and we pivoted a little bit, but um, clients are still investing, and uh, influencers are still doing a great job at articulating value to customers. We're just doing it more and more empathetic weight according to the times
1: well you say that they shifted a bit can you talk in broad terms about some of the changes that you see going on or some of the shifts that they've made
0: so one of the you know with large brands you know they've come to understand that consumers expect those brands to be part of the solution since uh, some of the other source of sources of uh, solution in this situation aren't necessarily you know getting it done so um there is an expectation that large brands are going to be doing something to help the community, to help the environment, the, the, not the environment, but the, the communities in which they operate um, relative to the, the pandemic. So um, shifts from what I talked about, not so much talking about product marketing types of things, mm-hmm. but talking more about purpose, talking more about why, uh, being more empathetic to buyers or and, and what – how the the buyers' lives have changed now because supply chains have dried up or are affected, um, and and that sort of thing. So that kind of shift. The other one is, you know, because of Martech companies or other technology companies we get to work with. Some of them are in a situation not like not like Zoom, you know, which is totally capitalized in this situation. Zoom will soon be a verb, or if it's not already, right? Yeah, just like Google. But that provide services that help companies work remotely so an example is monday.com which is a project management software i think they're about a two billion dollar company out of israel and they uh, i mean the, your remote project management you've got to have software right and um, i was just talking to someone the other day um, they were telling me about a company a technology company that had to move a hundred thousand employees to remote they bought ninety thousand computers You know, and and, and so there's a lot of other services those companies need to buy in order to make it work, and so there's there are companies that we work with, and so I can tell that story in terms of pivoting is that, you know, they have been able to capitalize on the fact that what they offer actually helps people solve very relevant and timely problems right now. They're not doing it in an explicit way though. They're doing it in a you know they're giving away software to. Uh, small businesses. They're giving access to their SaaS software to small businesses. And they're talking about how can you make the most out of the situation? What are the best practices you can follow as you migrate from what you were doing to what the new normal or abnormal, as Anne Hanley would say, uh, is is happening? So that's been an interesting thing too. So it's just a couple of two, three, four companies like that that I've seen um, you know, be able to take advantage of the situation, but not opportunistically.
1: Sure, and responding. A, they're, empath- they're helping. Em-
0: empathetic way.
1: Yeah. yeah. Did uh, sales of Dell
0: computers, was there a surge there for uh, instances that you were just, just describing? I, You know, so we do happen to work with De- – I wouldn't be able to answer that, but um, I, we do work with Dell Outlet um, and Dell. But uh, from a cons- you know consumer uh, or small business um, computer standpoint, I can only imagine that they've seen – positive effects you know mm-hmm.
1: um yeah that's interesting but it's also interesting that you can they can maybe talk about what they're doing to help rather than saying w- we're here for you i i've seen an awful lot yeah. of, mess- <laughs> of empty messages
0: uh right right just so- saying that yeah yeah, so so even from a computer standpoint, and I'm just you know um, saying this as it comes to my mind right now, and that, you know it's like, look, you know, if you're if you imagine what is it like for a 25-person company, a 100-person company that's now working remote, that does use computers exclusively, or, or, or you know, as a big part of their job, and you know, they just weren't set up to have everyone take them home, you know, what kinds of information can you provide to them, you know, what kind of Um, best practices, if you will, process information, worksheets, support. Could you provide them, which all really is cost of sale content. You know, it's all part of, it's marketing, but it's going to help them be successful. It's going to help them reduce stress, increase trust and confidence, what the way forward will be. And that's something I think, you know, senior folks who are decision makers are really going to appreciate. And I've I've seen that um, in terms of a response to helpful information. And that's also connected to what a lot of these brands are having influencers do. And it's not having them talk about how stuff so much, uh, maybe a little bit, but more about uh, the brands are talking about why and the influencers are talking about uh, giving useful information that is more in the how, you know what I mean? Like, here's how you should do this, or here's how you can do that Mm -hmm. um, instead of why you should buy the product.
1: Yes. Well, now I want to ask you a question. You've got such a terrific blog and there were a couple of articles that caught my eye. And one of them was about um, some of the biggest uh, fails of <laughs> influencer marketing. Uh, it came out a while. What are, what are some of the biggest mistakes, pandemic or not, that you see uh, companies that are doing with influencer marketing?
0: Yeah, um, it's interesting. So You know, expectations that are just out of whack. Um, The biggest one is someone who has this idea about what influencer marketing is, usually through the lens of B2C, usually through the lens of what they already know, which is often advertising oriented. So they're thinking about how can we buy access to people? Um, And they'll have, you know, they'll come into it, though, with language like, well, we want to build our brand we want to create more thought leadership for our brand, and in the same campaign, we want to increase leads. <laughs> right. And those, as any marketer would know, are two different approaches. There's two different types of messaging for that, you know. And if they try um, to be possible, they probably won't be successful at either. It can confuse people. Yeah, like you stand for this, and then oh, and buy a product. <laughs> you know, we're changing the world one person at a time. And oh, by the way, buy this product. And it's like, wh- wait, what? <laughs> right. And so. Um, that that's that's an expectations management thing that you know if they are engaging in an agency and coming forward with those requests then you know it's on the agency to um, educate and, and, and persuade well, here's how you can be successful or here's how you can help your customers be successful and here's how that layers out as opposed to trying to do both with the same effort. Um, that, that's one. Um, another one is looking at, Well, it's one night stands, really. It's looking at influencer engagement only when you need them. So people get the idea that, (laughs) probably all right, I need someone to help me promote this thing is what they think. And like Uh they publish some content that doesn't have anything in it other than what the brand said. And then they want to, they published it and they go, go find some influencers to help us promote this thing. Mm Um, that's one version. And they only ask them when they need them to do that. Um, and I think it's a big fail in a couple of ways. Number one, obviously, it's very transactional and not very rewarding for someone to just come to you and say, hey, we just made this thing. Can you help promote it? And I'm like, and you are, <laughs> why, why, why would I do that? I literally, I literally just got, this is a bit meta. I just got an email today from a fellow who said he's teaching an influencer marketing course, a virtual influencer marketing course. And could I give him a blurb to help him promote his course? That he's being paid for, and I'm like, why would I do that? I mean, of course I would do it because I want to elevate the industry, uh, and, and but like, why would I do that? You know, yeah. and and so, so the miss there is, and for the brand and for that person who emailed me is, if you include them in the content, now their investment is inspiration to help make it successful, mm-hmm. and you may support them by giving them pre-written shares and things to, to talk about as far as amplification goes, but if they're part of the making, you know, and it makes them care. And if they care, they're going to share, you know? And, and so the missed opportunity there is looking at it transactionally as if you can just buy it uh, or um, not even thinking about them un- until the day you actually need them. And to use a military metaphor, the best time to start an army is not the first day of the war right? So yes. it's <laughs> sure it's happened a few times, but it's what normally history, happens. But, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's, those are, those are a couple of things. I mean, they're just, you know, treating not really realizing the, uh, the value of relationships, not realizing the value of cumulative effect. So, well, people will do, will be more sophisticated and they'll, they'll run a couple of campaigns throughout the year, but the campaigns will not be connected and they won't necessarily, um, manage the relationships with those influencers in between and the what happens is in B2B there's a lot less a inf- fewer influencers are actually paid uh you know and and compensated with money and so it's a value exchange it's like we we'd like to invite you to be part of this program we see that you care about the same things we do exposure in this program with our big brand could really you know be a win for everyone and they'll say yes to that but if you only do that and you only talk to them during those two or three campaigns throughout the year, there's nothing stopping them from going to your direct competitor. Mm-hmm. There's no, so relationships are the glue that keep that influencer uh, aligned with your brand. And so you got to manage the relationship. You've got to allocate resources, technology and humans to manage uh, uh, the relationship and, and keep the love alive.
1: Right. Well, just to remove the pressure, Leo did you do not need to share this interview, okay? And I know you never hear that. <laughs> I'm just, <kidding. laughs>
0: but you know, uh, um, well, I'm part of I'm part of the content, so I have a vested interest. Oh, that's
1: in- right. Yeah. Well, um, let's be honest this this isn't really a money making thing. And frankly, this special <laughs> series is so I can have people to talk to when I'm drinking, and it's a favor to my family. You know, so you're <laughs> sort of like doing Douglas daycare, and they thank awesome. you. And I. I'm sure they're messaging you right now, saying, "Can you keep him on there a little bit longer?" But uh, (laughs) your uh, your comment about the one night stand it brings to mind a book that was on the podcast in early 2020. It was "Social Media Success for Every Brand" by Claire Diaz Ortiz, who I think was the sixth employee at Twitter, which is why her Twitter handle is at (laughs) Claire, like like at Jack uh, Dorsey. Yeah, and uh, she talks about. how she was doing work for a tech firm, a startup, you know, putting together a big marketing plan, and she said that the management, the the founder, and so forth, they were, you know, they were looking through it and thinking, yeah, we see what you're doing, we got it, you know, but you know, we don't really need to do this if we could just get Mark Cuban to tweet about us, <laughs> and she. Pretty much anchored her whole book around that. She started it with that, and I just thought it was amazing because she said, "There's so many that think that, yeah, well, just just this yeah. one thing will suddenly get viral." Well, then actually, she goes beyond that and says, "Okay, well, so what happens if he does do that?" <laughs> he said, "Most right. pe- most people aren't even ready for that." So I had to laugh when you you uh, you mentioned that. Now. And I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna link to that article on this episode show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com. But there was one other that was uh, pretty pretty recent, and it was about uh, measuring changing marketing goals during a crisis. So yeah. things are changing. What what are what are companies uh, measuring instead? I guess.
0: So because more companies are empathetically talking about. How they can support the communities in which their customers live and 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 work in. They're starting to, me- you know, not just measure obviously leads and sales, um, and you know just traditional KPS. Although they still need to, you know, there's still content, there's still marketing happening, there's still advertising happening, so they have to continue to measure those things. But I think more companies are measuring share of voice, brand affinity, sentiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Because I think one of the important questions for brands to answer is, at the end of this, or as things do become a little more normal at some point, are people going to think of your brand as a champion, as uh, one with integrity, as one that is trusted, that they can be confident about doing business with going forward? Or are they going to look back on you as an opportunistic organization that just continues to do tone-deaf marketing? and really didn't empathize with its customers and didn't create value for its customers. And I think, I think that's is something that a lot of senior executives are, are thinking about in one way or another, and that's filtering down to marketing and the types of communications and um, marketing communications that's happening. And subsequently the measurement that goes along with that in and, and terms of, you know, to what degree are people discovering or engaging with that content and to what degree are, they doing the thing that they're asking people to do, whether that's to join them in an altruistic endeavor, uh, signing up, you know, and con- consuming content, referring it, sharing it, but also those other things I mentioned, share voice, sentiment, and affinity.
1: Mm-hmm. Is there anything related to search since the pandemic started that has surprised you or, or changed?
0: Yeah, an increase, a big increase in organic search for certain types of uh, services. Um, G2 Crowd put out an article via Marketing Profs that uh, they had shared some of the uh, organic search trends that had happened on their site. And they were seeing 200 to 600% increases in organic referred search traffic uh, to certain types of marketing, I'm sorry, technology uh, content. Um, you know, content like online teleconferencing, virtual conferences, um, and that sort of thing. Um, outside of that, none of the industries, of course, you're going to see a drop. Um, people aren't looking for hotels or flights and that sort of thing as much anymore, but, um, they are still looking. In fact, there's been an increase in people looking using search, um, as a way to connect themselves to, to solutions. You know, people have always used search that way to sort of bypass the middleman of sales um, in order to educate them and pull themselves through the sales cycle with information, which is most often surfaced through peers or through through search. I often like to say, you know, um, peer networks and influencers can give people uh, an idea about a solution, but when then people will go to search and search will validate that that is a good solution, that it's, as we like to say, the best answer um, for, for that particular problem. Um, and so search has been extremely valuable where customers can pull themselves to solutions in their own terms um, and not have to deal with some of this stupid, uh, not thoughtful um, marketing that people are still doing in a tone-deaf way.
1: Yes, and that's something that has me hopeful, because I'm a hopeful person, Lee. You know, I'm looking for the silver lining. You do seem, <laughs> you do seem a little optimistic, Douglas. You do. Well, I'm hopeful that because of this, because we even in this conversation where you've talked about uh, tone deafness and people being there's like a heightened concern about how people are going to be perceived. That's not a bad thing <laughs> going forward for the next generation right. of marketers and businesses who are being kind of sensitive. To to what they're saying. And I was just talking to an author the other day, and I can't remember because you know, <laughs> all these drinks right. and all these interviews, they kind of blur together. And, <laughs> um and I and your name again? No. Uh but they were talking about how um there are certain offers that they were probably already queued up or certain campaigns that they were gonna yeah. be doing anyway, and then maybe they just changed a few words to you know, like uh life insurance. Like a <laughs>
0: <laughs> a campaign for In these life. challenging times. Yes. Oh gosh. We're here for you.
1: That's right. That's right. And you've probably seen that video of how so many of these COVID-19 TV commercials are the same. Now it was brilliantly edited, but it it looked like one big 3 or 4 minute commercial. Yeah, huh? with with different brand names on there. So is there
0: anything else that's really surprised you? Uh, I see, you know, there's a lot of community happening. Um, I, from an optimistic, I'll continue on that optimistic or Mm -hmm. hopeful uh, Mm -hmm. thread. I do see a lot of community happening where people are using social media to kind of talk about what they're going through. And of course, what's great about social media is that you can find people with like minded individuals, you can find, you can connect with other people that are wondering about the same kinds of things and have dialogue or people who are don't agree with you and you can have a dialogue. And I, I am seeing a lot more uh, certain types of community, if you will, happening as a result of this. People are spending more time on digital. They're spending more time um, communicating in ways in, and in more interesting ways. I mean, for example, uh, I saw Anne Hanley tap dance the other day. Uh, in her tiny house. so I had no idea and was I mean she's a remarkable individual mm-hmm. of course, but I had no idea that she she and so there's all these gifts of her doing these interesting things and and I see other people starting shows and 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 it's really interesting how they're creating community um, between themselves and their audiences, but to see you know an increasing number of marketers embrace, digital media content creation in ways they weren't before because they have to now Um, and how they're sharing ideas with each other is another level of community I've seen grow as well. And I can only imagine some of that exists in other industries outside of marketing.
1: Yeah, I can recall now uh, there's like a Facebook page for my college classmates and there's these uh, digital happy hours (laughs) Popping up, right? And yes, th- there's no sign that it's going to be stopping anytime soon. Everyone's having so much uh, fun reconnecting, and now suddenly realizing that they can, they can do that, and they can all get together and, you know, basically uh, tell lies about each other and, and deny certain things in case the wife <laughs> listening in. But um, at any rate, well. Uh, Lee, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, reconnect with you here on Authors in Quarantine, Getting Cocktails, which I'm going to do until I run out of quarantine or, or authors. And I think I'm going to run out <laughs> of authors first. But uh, <laughs> I hope that you and your family uh, and, and and your team at the agency there continue to stay uh, safe and happy and safe and relatively sane. Well, I
0: wish there was same for you, Douglas. And, uh Keep growing that beard. It's looking pretty, pretty impressive. <laughs> and that's coming from Lee Odin, the guy that used that yeah.
1: beard. <laughs> <laughs>